there's only two other ways that it will ever be worn again. Number one is when we win the World Series. I'll bring it out again. Number two, I say it all the time, and my wife's going to kill me. Number two, I have one daughter so far. I haven't been snipped yet. I'm about to have my fourth, third boy. I'm saving my mariachi jacket for when my daughter gets married. It's going to be the father-daughter dance outfit, and I'm going to wear it. So those are the only two ways I wear that thing again. <laughs> Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 180 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media. And we are honored because today we have an author on our show. He also dabbles playing baseball. He is Joe Kelly, your fine reliever for your Chicago oh. White Sox. Oh, dude. Sorry, did I get you mid-bite there? Yeah. Uh glory of watching me eat doesn't come often right my teammates you um but yes yes i just came off the field uh, i'm here in spring training you see this tent this is not my house guys i don't live in a tent so i just want to make sure that everyone understands that um this is not a circus tent either this is the nice tent we use for media day so how about that okay great You're a little behind the scenes for a guy who has done spring training as long as you have does it suck? Listen up. Uh, that's a great question. Um, my wife literally has said something similar to that before. Uh, and I think that every spring training is different because you get new teammates uh, this year for us, especially we got a new skipper and a, a new staff. Um, so far, it hadn't sucked. But what, what's cool about it is I've done, let's just say, you know, PFPs. I've done PFPs my whole career. Um, but this is the first year that I've done PFPs in the way that I actually coach my uh kids baseball team right so we're using you know super ball we're using light balls to do the same dumb drills so to speak uh, over and over um but as a competition with you know balls getting hit at us it feels like 100 miles an hour we're trying to react bare hand uh, put a ball in your hand catch it with one hand like almost taking it back to basics so that's obviously uh, i'm not gonna lie it's been a lot of fun hell it's been super fun you know to, to go back as, and, and get trained as like a kid as big leaguers. Does uh, does Pedro Griefall does he take you to ice cream after practice? <laughs> you know what? He would be skipper of the year if he if he treated the whole team to ice cream after practice. Um, no, I wish he he he's been great so far. Um, he's very personable, but ice cream it might be a little bit too personable. Okay, we've got a lot to cover with you, man. So we'll be talking about the White Sox. Uh, what might go right this year? What went wrong last year? Uh, your travels from St. Louis to Boston to L.A. and everywhere in between. But no joke, like when I saw you at Justin Turner's uh, charity event and you're like, I want to give you one of my books. I was like, OK, well, is this a coloring book, Joe? Like, are you joking with me? And then <laughs> I, I sat and I. Yeah, I mean, I did. And then I read the whole thing and I was fascinated. So I want a tip of the cap to you and your co-author on that one. Thank I want you. to start by doing this is this is a very Oprah thing. I want to read okay. a little quote from you on page 29. People think I'm crazy. I don't feel that way. I just do things others won't. Uh, do you think that most people think you're crazy? Um, people that 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 know me uh, personally, like teammates that are close to me, um, some would describe probably crazy, but some would, some would describe like exactly how I wrote that quote, right? I do what other people think. I do. I say what other people want to say that don't say because they're a, a either, you know, scared to say it from the public backlash, which I don't give a shit because I don't I don't have social media. Right. I've been trying to get canceled for years and it, and it doesn't happen. Um, so it's it's one of those things that 
if something needs to be said or something needs to be done, uh, I could care less. So I'm like, I'll be the guy. Why not? Um, people say I'm crazy. Yes, because a, I still ride dirt bikes. I still, you know, go to skate park with my son. I still, um, am go, go, go from, you know, eight o'clock in, in the morning till midnight. Um, I'll still toilet paper a house with my wife. Like I'll still do dumb shit like that all the time. So it's one of those things that, you know, people will just say I'm crazy for doing stuff like that. It's, but if everyone, if I'm doing all things everyone else wants to do. And so since they don't do it, they call me crazy for it is what essentially what it is. When was the last time you and your wife TP to house? Um, my wife t- toilet paper, uh, my wife, her mom and someone else. I was a lookout person, toilet paper, David Price's house, my last year in LA. So, and uh, the funny thing is, listen to this. It's this story no one knows. So this is recent, bro. This is like 2021. Um, so David Price rented a, a, a nice house, but he was in the back house. And so there was a front house that's also a massive house that he was renting it from. And the owners of the front house were there at the time. And so we they start throwing rolls, doing the cars, doing everything. And I'm like playing lookout. Like, all right, I just got home from the game. They're like, we're going, we're going. I'm like, let's go. Um, so they started toilet paper in the house and everything. And the next morning, you know, they get it on camera of like these girls, these girls and, and my my mother-in-law. And I forgot who else it was. Toilet paper in the car. And they sent it to David like, oh, someone toilet paper at our house last night, I guess. Um, and uh, and the funny thing is they, we had, they had to wait outside. And I waited outside for like 12 minutes because Price wouldn't get out of his car. It's like, get out of your car, you're home. Go in the house. Uh, so he wouldn't go in the house. So we, so we had to wait. But. That was the last time. So probably what year and a half ago. And what did he say to you? <laughs> he loved it because he didn't clean it up. How about that? That sucks. The real owners clean it up. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, you, I, I haven't even met your wife. She gets bonus points already for wanting to TP somebody's house. Yes. Yes. She's pregnant right now. So TP's getting is, is on the back burner. So our fourth kid's coming April 26th or 28th. The C-section should probably be mad if he watches. I don't know. But I think the 26th. Yeah. Well, you better figure it out when it's time. <laughs> I'll ask today. How about that? I'll put it on I'll put it on my calendar. Please. So this is your fourth child. How many? Uh, what's the oldest? The oldest is Knox. He's seven. And then yeah. I have a boy-girl twin. Uh, there'll be three April 17th. And then number four on uh, the 28th of April. Same. This year. Hey, yeah, it's Toronto. I, I always so I'm tell, not able to get out of Toronto. Oh, okay. Well, I always tell people this. Um here. you don't have to you don't have to make a child every time you have sex. <laughs> the problem is I've been so so many times I haven't, and then you get the bad luck. <laughs> we were done. Chris, we were done. No, we I wanted originally five kids, and then I was like, all right, we'll have four. And then we had twins, and we're like, no, we're done. I was like, hey, listen, I will promise, I promise I'm going to get sniffed once the season's over, but I'm not going to do it during the season. Um, August comes rolling around way too late. Hey, I'm pregnant. You know, at first it went to like, I'm going to fight you to like, I'm sad. I don't want to have another kid. I just almost got out of diapers to like, all right, finally, let's enjoy it. Um, but now I have time to get, get the procedure done again. So let's just hope I don't miss my window of opportunity to get it done and then be stuck with five. <laughs> Keep me posted on that, but congratulations <laughs> to you and more Thank importantly, you. your wife who does, yeah. Yeah, does who does all the heavy lifting. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. More of the show is coming your way, but first we want to tell you a little bit about Roman. Now we've talked about what Roman can do for you a little South of the equator, but how about at the top of your head, 
Did you know that 42% of men experience moderate to extensive hair loss sometime during their life? Well, the sooner a person starts treatment for hair loss, the easier it is to keep the hair on the head that you've already got. Well, Roman offers clinically proven medication to help treat hair loss, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. So Roman offers both prescription medication and over-the-counter treatments as well. In fact, research shows that 80% of men who use prescription hair loss treatment had no further hair loss after two years. That is a big-time deal. Now, getting started, it's pretty simple. Complete a free online visit. Then a U.S. licensed healthcare professional is going to work with you to find the best treatment plan. Roman then ships it directly in discreet packaging with free two-day shipping. The entire process, it is straightforward. It is discreet. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And right now, Roman has a special offer for our listeners. Use the link to get 20% off your first order. Just go to ro.co slash johnboy today. That is ro.co slash johnboy for 20% off. Keep the hair that is on top of your head. Keep your confidence booming. Let Roman help out. I want to go back to something you said that you you say stuff that other people are either too scared. Um, they say I, it I'm in their heads and won't put it out. Got it. You know what I mean? Say it in their heads and won't. Yeah. I think that's because we're afraid of getting roasted, whether it's on social media or anything else. Like, here's the deal. We're all we could all think differently, in my opinion. Yeah. And if we're really going to make progress as a country in particular, we have to be able to talk instead of scream or be afraid of what comes out of our mouths that will be castigated and thrown into, okay, well, you're this, you're that. Yes. Do you agree with that? Uh, uh, hey, look at Let's tell Blake Trinan to, to, to knock it off. He's calling me. We're not even on the same team anymore. Um, that... I, I love that you said that. So I've, I've always thought the same thing, right? Um, everything is so guarded, right? Uh, everything's so guarded in the way that, you know, our families are. So like you keep it a tight knit family, but then you take it to another level. Everyone's so guarded, like for me and you, right? We, we're going to have cameras on us, you know, most of the time of our day, or you run a show, you have to be careful what you say, supposedly, you know, podcast is more free, right? Than like talk radio or, or, um, another sponsor show like you're doing let's just say working for spectrum and you're doing dodger tv or whatever but that's that's the crappy part like i don't think uh you know 50 years ago before like cameras everywhere social media everywhere like it wasn't as guarded and people were closer because of that you know what i mean now nowadays if you say you know something bad it's gonna stick around with you forever because of the internet it's gonna be clipped and then you know you're going to be cast aside as, you know, this kind of person, or, you know, I don't like you for, you know, leaning this way on a political spectrum, so to speak. But yeah, I think uh, people aren't, aren't as close in relationships. Like me and you are talking right now. No one's close like that just because everything they say is calculated, right? Like I haven't thought of, I haven't prepared for this podcast. I was like, Hey, I'm going to get done off the field. I'm coming to the podcast. Not like I'm like writing notes or like, Hey, I want to talk about this. Um, but people that aren't, built the way like me and you are they're gonna have a calculated conversation like i'm gonna make sure i do not i stay away from this topic i'll try from this topic well i i will admit though um that yeah i i have been i let me let me put it this way you do have to be careful with what you say particularly in my business okay. um of course 
And I'm sure that there are things that you and I don't agree on, whether it could be politically or, you know, the way the world is run. But I think that we could have a conversation if we don't agree. I guess that's my point, is that it's okay to have different views with stuff. And you have to truly understand that being a part of a clubhouse. You're not going to see the world the, the way it is for 25 different guys. Isn't that right? And I think that's why... I mean, other professional athletes are get an idea of that, right? But I think as a baseball player, I mean, let's just take myself for being on the Chicago White Sox. We predominantly have probably the most, you know, mixed bag of team in, in all of baseball. You know, we we have a heavenly uh, populated Latin population on our team um, compared to most teams. You know what I mean? Like, let's take the Dodgers. Like, they don't have as many Latin guys as us. So, like, we have all these guys from different countries, different walks of life. Um, you have you have to be instantly okay with what someone believes. Number one, how someone acts. Number two, like all the way down to the food, all the way down to like what kind of music, all the way down to like, hey, I haven't had showers like this, you know, for the latter earlier part of my life, for my first eighteen years of life. If I take a long shower, like you have to be okay with that. Like, all right, I'm gonna wait my turn for you know, blah blah blah, this teammate, or you know, you have to be okay with these things right away because number one, you're all playing for the same team, right? You're all pulling for each other. And and if you don't, you've seen the game. Those guys kind of get weeded out pretty quick, right? If you can't adapt with, with anything in life, number one, if you can't adapt to someone's culture, you know, you could easily get weeded out of the, the game of baseball. Um, but I wish that other people would have the opportunity, not because, you know, we play baseball, A, make a lot of money. Um, you know, it's great. We play a kid's game. But I wish it was a melting pot of, like, my everyday life that someone else could see. Like, because there is so many – um, disagreements throughout the whole entire day. Disagreement on way if I'm hurt, I'm talking to my head athletic trainer. I did my own research. I don't think this is the right way to do it. I know this is your job as a professional, but I don't like the way we're doing this rehab thing. Hey, have you ever thought about this way? Like, and there's there's no animosity after that. You know, regular conversation. Even if the tone gets a little bit loud, at the end of the day, it's not like I'm going to come back the next day and be like, like, f off. Like I'm not going to talk to you because then that you become a cancer and then you're out. So we have disagreements all the time, but as a professional athlete, you have to learn to deal with it. And I wish like normal people would be able to do like understand that it's okay. Like, I hope you don't agree with me because yeah, it's going to be fun to battle each other with a, like a debate. And then after that, let's say, you know, whatever you like that. I like that. Okay. Good. Good thoughts. Your book is called a damn near perfect game. Um, you are very open in it. You talk about your father being an alcoholic how he basically ruined your baseball experience as a kid, that there were yeah. times where you wouldn't continue to pitch or play until he was booted from the field. Um, what's your relationship like with him now? Well, now, now so this is what's great about life, right? People change. Um, and it took to, I didn't have time to write in the book. You know, I could go on and on um, about my background, um, you know, I've had a brother who's been in and out of prison, you know, my dad, alcoholic. Uh, but now we had uh, last year his 10 year sobriety party. So, you know, I want to. It's great. It's like I said, people adapt. So the first part of my life, I loved my dad as him until I started realizing what the problem was. Um, and then we obviously went, I wrote my book, we had our issues, right? Um, but now, uh, you know, I think he's an unreal parent. You know, I'm obviously an adult now. Um, I think he's an unreal adult, unreal person. Um, obviously, 10 years sobriety is huge, um, but he's completely 
change man. And it took to pretty much him being like on a deathbed, right? When back against the wall, all else, you know, all us, if you don't change, it's, it's over. Um, and he did it. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do is break addiction. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, as a kid, I played baseball. I was introduced to baseball from my grandfather. My grandfather and my mom actually uh, wanted to sign me up for T-ball. My dad said, my dad told my mom, like, not playing baseball. That's like, that's for pussies, literally. Um, so my dad was a football player, you know, scholarship, played at Vanderbilt. My dad caught a game-winning touchdown against Alabama. It was the last Vanderbilt team to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Um, and then my dad signed with the Chargers, didn't make the team, and then he played arena football. So he was a football guy. Um, and so when my grandfather and my mom said, let's put him in baseball, my dad literally said no. Um, they, good thing they put me in, right? Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I played baseball, and then I played football. I played basketball. I played all those my whole life. And it wasn't until I got older until I realized um, the, the kind of the problems of, you know, the drinking of, you know, why do we stop at the gas station so many times before practice? And, you know, why is it always a, a Gatorade bottle mixed with, you know, something else? You know, why is the, the emotions of, you know, nice and the, the thoughts all jarred? Like, why can't he focus? Like, it, it, it's just like as an adult, I could see it's a dead giveaway. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it was a way for me to get away from it. Obviously, I got a scholarship to go to college, and it was like, oof, thank God, like, I'm out. Um, but obviously I played a little bit too close to my home. Um, and I said in the book, in one of the chapters, you know, my, my coach will, my coach can remember this to the day of, I just became a pitcher at the UC university, of California, Riverside. Um, my dad would show up to practices and, you know, I, I warned him, like we've been in altercations. We've been in a, a punch, like we've been in like a mini fights, you know, I've punched him before playing basketball. Um, and he showed up and I, I showed up to practice and I told my head coach, I said, I'm not, I'm not pitching. I'm not playing. I'm, I'm done. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, my dad's over there, and I told him that he's no longer allowed to come. You know, we've had an altercation, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so it took me yelling at him, and then it took through my coach walking over there and multiple coaches walking over, like, you need to leave or we'll call. Like, we're going to call security, we'll call the police, whatever. Um, and that's one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with on a baseball field, right? Because me, I'm a freshman in college. Um, I'm around a whole bunch of new grown men. You know, I'm, I just am 18 years old. Um, and then for, for the embarrassment of myself to have to be on a baseball field and, 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 and try to explain, you know, there's not very much talking after that. You know, people are like, what the hell's wrong? Like, you know, to try to explain this conversation after the fact happens of, you know, A, this is what happened. B, um, you know, this is the, like, they're like, what's this kid doing bringing in all this drama? Uh, so, yeah, that was, that's one of my toughest spots of being on a baseball field of, of, of embarrassment. Um, but, you know, now it, it, it's great. We could op openly talk about it. He, uh, is now, you know, a brilliant man. He's always been a brilliant man. Um, you know, he's just bogged down by, by that evil demon of, of, of an alcoholic. And I'm sure a lot of people have, have been through it and, and people have family members. And uh, it's, it's a crazy, scary thing. It's one of the hardest things to break, honestly, that. And I think heroin, like opioids, you know, painkillers um, to be it free from addiction. But like I said, now he's, he's great. We talk all the time. Um, we've never had a strong relationship, honestly, in our lives. Uh, so it's, it's been a journey, man. It's been a journey for sure. And, and it's something, like I said, I'm, I'm an open book. Um, media asks me a question. I tell them the answer. And, and I think that's what people truly enjoy. So it, it's, it's pretty cool to see, you know, I've, I've become a fan favorite in most of the places I've played. And, you know, I've been a very average big leader, I would say. If you look at my career, it's very average. Um, you know, I've, I've won two World Series, which is not average. Um, but like I said, I've been a middle of the pack reliever. I've been a middle of the pack starter. Um, Though the one thing I kind of pride myself on is, is being a great teammate and being transparent and open.
and you know being myself from day one and uh, that's what people kind of kind of kind of bond to so I think uh, they'll be excited when they read the book um, I'm sure there's other players in the league and there's kids who are going through the same thing that might read the book like man you know this is it is it ever gonna is there ever gonna change you know like they might have a, a parent who's alcoholic like can there ever be a light at the end of the tunnel? And, you know, there's proof that, you know, for myself, I thought the same thing. Um, but people can change. That, that's that's the good thing about it. That's that's the light at the end of the tunnel. People can change. When their backs are against the wall and they have to, they can change. It's great. It's a great lesson. Uh, I applaud you and uh, your repaired relationship with your father, and I'm happy to hear it's been 10 years sobriety. That is awesome. Do you think that the pain you felt as a kid, how has it, affected the way that you parent oh man it's it's definitely made me i'm not gonna say that i'm gonna completely go against the grain of how my parents parented i think they parented great you know um the way that i coach now is going to be different um the way that i approach my sons and my daughter uh like on the game of baseball you know i remember getting grinding you know like all most big leagues their dads were tough on them um, I'm, I'm, I'm tough on my son, but it's, it's, it's something I leave open to him. Right. Uh, if I don't, if I, if I see his eyes get sad or if I see, you know, if I, I know to the point for looking at these little body cues and body language is big. I know like when he's getting tired, not to force him. Like if he's doing it the wrong way, uh, I got to remember he's seven. Right. So I got to remember that like, Hey, he's a kid. Um, you know, it's more times where I, I I'm making sure I tell him, I love you. Like, so if it is a tough little workout session of, of throwing the ball you're like hey man that was awesome I love you like I I'm sure my father said it when I was young but it was more of like a drill sergeant right and then practice is over let's go home like you know for myself now that when I coach I try to treat all kids the same you know I'm not going to be a, a, a drill sergeant and say we're doing this drill till we get it right because honestly if you're a kid you're, you might not get it right until you practice it a bunch so you'll be there all practice doing the same thing um so the way the way that I'm different as 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 a parent is, is the way I, I would say I coach. Um, it, it's just it just depends. I don't want to be like one of those people who's like, man, I'm totally not going to do what my my parents did or my father did. Um, but you definitely learn. You learn lessons on what I didn't like as a child, and then I have to go back and remember uh, would my kid like that. You know what I mean? So um, I try to do as best as I can to be a great coach and, and but more to be understanding i try to go parent coach instead of coach parent good good philosophy i like that um you know i've known a lot of your teammates over the years and the two things i always hear about you are you're the best athlete they've ever seen at the pitching position and that you're probably one of the first guys they would ever take in a fight and um I imagine you take immense pride in both of those. You had to stand up for one of your teammates in Boston. You plunked Tyler Austin. We know that whole thing. Yeah. What I didn't know was that you nearly chased him down in the streets of New York. Now, I read I had to go back and reread it because I wasn't sure that I read it the right way the first time. Is that true? It it is it is definitely a true statement. Um and it was more of, of, I've had to learn as I got gotten older to kind of realize when my fuse is about to blow. Um, and I don't know what it is. I guess it's just some people have it, they don't. But my agent was, my agents were in the car. We were driving through Times Square and they were joking around. And they're like, oh my God, there's Tyler Austin. Do you want me to 
unlock the door for you. And the only thing I heard was like Tyler Austin. I didn't know they were like joking around. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, and my eyes just instantly like locked. And like, I started like crawling over the seat. They're like, no, 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 no. We're just, we're just messing with you. Like, you're not going to go out and go confront this guy in, in the middle of Times Square. And I was like, what? Oh, oh yeah. Wait, what? What'd you say? And I was like, they're like, you're not getting out of the car right now <laughs> in Times Square. And I was like, oh yeah, you're, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, okay. And like, it was, that was it. But that is definitely true. <laughs> a true statement. And it was, and it wasn't me spotting. It was more of like an egg on thing, but I took it literal, like serious at first. And then I had to kind of check myself reality. Now, uh, and much older Joe Kelly, um, that would probably never happen, but it was something I want people to understand and, and, and be, seeing the book, I thought it was quite funny, honestly. Do you think you would have kicked his ass if you'd gotten out of that car? Uh, I can't hundred percent say that, but I mean, I've been in plenty of fights where I've lost, right? It's, it's that's not what it's about. Um, it, it, but it's the thing that people are afraid of. Like, I don't go on like picking fights, right? I'm not an enforcer, you know, I'm six foot, 182 pounds. It's not one of those things where, but also not the guy who's going to shy away from it. And for myself throughout the league, and I've said this from day one uh, from growing up, um, the bigger, stronger person is never me, right? So I kind of correlated to like, if I went back to my high school game as an alumni pitcher, or if I went back to my college alumni game and I'm in the big leagues and I throw, well, it's a lose-lose because I'm supposed to strike everyone out. And if those kids get a hit off me, they have all the bragging rights. Like, that's the outcome. So I correlate that to on the field. Like, if I get in a fight with anyone in the big leagues, 99% of them are much bigger, stronger than me. So, like, if I lose, I'm supposed to lose. And I'm not afraid, right? And if I win, it's a win-win. So the, the thing is, like, how do, you, how do you stay so calm? And, like, how to, like, why are you always in the middle of stuff like and I said, because it's a, it's a win-win for me. Like, who cares if people say, oh, you got beat up, Joe? Oh, well, yeah, the guy's got 50 pounds on me. He's supposed to kick my ass. If this was a UFC, they wouldn't be in my weight class. You know what I mean? So I always picture it as a win-win. Um, kind of like I said, kind of like going back to an alumni game. It's a lose-lose for me. So I now get the reward with the role switch, and I get to be the win-win type of guy. But do you think you would have punched him? Uh, there would have been some talking. He'd be like, hey, man, are, are you good? Is it, is it done? type thing um and it was done because i think he actually got sent down uh and then never came back i don't think <laughs> so you we were you good, got though. suspended I faced him, for I faced, that I, yeah we were we were good i faced him when he was a giant and i was on the dodgers uh, i faced okay. him two more times a couple of strikeouts it was cool way to get his ticket that away <laughs> um you were suspended for that you did something that we very rarely see you went into the crowd at Fenway Park and just decided to go chill <laughs> with the fans. What was the best part of that? I think the best part of it was um, being able to talk to, to, to the people around me. Um, it was great. So I had people who've been season ticket holders their whole life out there. I've had usually, so, so there's the bullpen, right? I'm sitting right above the bullpens because I wanted to be close to my boys out there, my bullpen guys. Um, and so we hear every day, like, hey, can I get a ball? This is my first game. And 50% of the time to, to a little bit more, they're probably lying, right? Um, so it was actually cool. When I sat in the stands, I literally sat next to people that were, like, maybe, like, four seats away. They're like, this is our first game. This is unbelievable. There's, you're sitting in the stands. 
And I'm like, no way. And then so I thought it was super cool to just understand like what kind of season ticket or what kind of fans there are. There was like first timers or season ticket holders. Um, and then to take take in the game as as a as a professional athlete watching my team play from the stands um, was beautiful. Because when I was little, I mean, I went to maybe five or less Major League Baseball games and I was a kid. So it's hard to remember. Um, so going to an actual Major League Baseball game as an adult, like I appreciated it much more, right? Like when I was 12, I played in Cooperstown. I went to the Hall of Fame. At 12 years old, I didn't give a crap. I went back when I was much older in the minor leagues and I was like, this is sweet. The, the, the Hall of Fame is awesome. But it was it was like I had to get that feeling as like, man, I wish I would have understood as a kid what it was like to actually go to a major baseball game. Um, but luckily enough for me, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm suspended. All the rules say is I'm not allowed to be dressed out. I'm not allowed to be where uh, team personnel is in the rules. I was like, well, I'm not going home. I was like, hey, I'm going to go sit in the stands. Can you find me tickets? And they're like, we'll, we'll just go to open seats. And we'll, so I had security, like, walk me. Um, you know, I got to sit at Fenway. It was cool. Then I went up to a suite. Um, it was the first time I, I met, like, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola. Um, a lot of the Patriots guys were there. And they were like, Joe Kelly sitting in the seats, like, bring him up here. We want to meet him. And I was like, wait, they want to meet me? I'm like, okay. So I went up there, got to talk shop with them. Uh, you know, back when I chew tobacco, don't do it, kids. Uh, you know, they were like, "Hey, you got some dip? Like, we like dip too." And I was like, "What football players dip?" They're like, "Yeah, we dip during the games." And I was like, "All right, I'll give you some dip." Um, so it was a, it was a great experience. And then you know, I went on the road, uh, went up in Toronto, and I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna start wearing one of my favorite bullpen. Like, I'm gonna wear the bullpen's jersey." So I went in, in Toronto. I grabbed Heath Hembry's alternate jersey. I put Hembry's jersey on, and I was like, "Guys, look for me." I'm going to now sit in the worst seat at every stadium. I'm going to go all the way up to the very corner of the Rogers Center. And in the third inning, look at me. I'm going to be waving. And so it was the third inning, and you could see David Price run over to AC Alex Cora and be like, look, Joe's up there. He's pointing. And so I got my phone and started shining my flashlight, and I was like eating a hot dog, eating popcorn with Heath Hembry's jersey on. It, it was it was something – it was like the most fun you could have during a suspension for sure, like just trying to be a, a normal fan. So I was like, I was like, what did what do people see in the nosebleed? Like, what what do they do? And I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go up, go sit. I'm gonna go pick the worst seat and buy a hot dog. Let's do it. That's awesome. Did you get a beer? Uh, I think I did actually. Yeah, I think I did in Toronto, not not Fenway. Yeah, in at the Rogers Center. Shit's expensive, by the way. Now I see why y'all <laughs> get paid so much. Damn. Hey, it is so expensive. It is more expensive almost than Disneyland. Taking a family to Disneyland. Good call. Hee hee What's better than watching the NBA action? Let me tell you. It's being a part of it with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. And you can tap into the all the excitement with a click of a button. New customers can place $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the app, opt-in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Take the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard getting five three-pointers. 
I feel like that's a no no brainer, but that's just me. Download the app now and sign up with the code Rose, and new customers can place a five dollar any game any pre game money line bet and get one hundred and fifty dollars in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with pr- promo code Rose. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now back to the show. Your other suspension came after the Correa incident. I am curious. If things went sideways this year in Chicago and you got traded to Minnesota, would you play? Uh, I've never been a quitter, so I'd have to play, yes. I would definitely play. Um, I can't tell you what would happen next, but I'm sure if I was on the same team as Carlos, we'd obviously have to have a conversation. Um, and uh, then we would see what happened. What do you think that would be like if you sat down with Carlos Correa? Um, I mean, I think it would be just like every other conversation that you have with someone that usually that don't get along. I think I would be open to having the conversation, um, you know, if we we're on the same team and, and uh, you know, see what, what kind of person and, and like how genuine someone is. Um, outside of the cameras, right? Outside of like, you know, is because you don't really know someone through through cameras. Um, because like I said, it, I've said it before, not very many people are like me where they're just gonna say exactly what they mean. You know, a lot of things are scripted or, or a lot of pre-planned, you know, type things. Like, so in their instance, an apology was probably scripted, it was pre-planned. Um, you know, like maybe now since time has gone on, they actually have shown remorse, but the question's gone now, right? Like nobody, nobody really brings it up up anymore what what happened in in 17 and um so it was one of those things that uh hypothetically if it happened we would have to you know have a conversation and then you know i'm open i'm always open um you know people change you give the chance like i said people can change you get the chance to see how genuine someone is and and if you're genuine then hey let's snip it in the butt let's go on okay so you could be teammates with him number one i wouldn't quit so i would have to yes Talk a little bit about either the team you're on. Last year did not go well. Didn't go well for you personally. Didn't go well for the franchise, right? You guys were expected to win that division and just never materialized outside of injuries because I think there were plenty of teams that had injuries and still had good seasons. Your old team, the Dodgers, yeah. the Mets, just exactly. to name a couple. What was the biggest issue with that team last year? I would say the biggest issue was as a collective group, the ability to mentally overcome injuries. So it's not the injuries itself, right? Everyone gets injuries, but the ability to have a sense of urgency after an injury happens. So let me explain. So like some guys come back earlier than they're supposed to, and it's probably not safe. Like they're, they're playing good injury. And then some guys come back when they're supposed to, but then kind of ease throughout the rest of, however long it is. And I think for myself and, and for our team, they would let you know um, when the in- injuries happen, we played it a little bit, maybe too safe. And then by the time uh, the actual postseason like chances came around, when we try to turn it up a notch, um, it's not like that. Baseball's not like that. You can't like just flip, flip, flip a switch and be able to go dominate again. Um, so like I said, when it's time to, as a group, as a unit to, to turn it up, to like try to chase down Cleveland, 
um, it was just a little bit too late, I think. Um, so now I think in, in this camp so far, like I said, um, the word urgency is, is, has been thrown around a lot and we're, we're, we're abiding by it. Um, you know, first day of camp. So I've been in the big leagues for, you know, this is my 12th season. You pitchers and catchers report, you know, if that's your bullpen day, you might throw a bullpen after you take, you know, physicals, uh, you might go play catch with one of the guys. And then after physicals, you might just leave. Um, first day here in camp, we had urgency. We had a team stretch with pitchers and catchers. And then we did like six stations of PFP right away. Bam, 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 bam. Let's get it going. Um, so that kind of set the tone. And so it was the same thing for the position players. When they reported, they had a team stretch. So let's get it going. Bam, 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 bam. And usually as players behind the scenes, you know, we talk. We're like, man, this is bullshit. What are we doing? Um, but that hasn't been the case. You know, that hasn't been the case at all. It's like, man, this is great. Like, we've done PFP for 12 years. How come we haven't done it this way? Like, this is a great way to do it. Like, this is a, a way better drill when we do it this way. Um, and like I said, that's that's what we've been doing. Uh, like I said, with different kind of PFPs, it's the same idea. But now we're using competition of, you know, carry one ball in the hand and you're going to freaking fire these little light balls at you. And if you drop it, like, um, you're out type stuff. Like, just like we're bringing it back to, like, fun, urgent kid type baseball. and if you look at the personalities on our team, uh, we have guys that are built that way. So like not only in the off season did Pedro call every single player and be like, Hey, what, what went wrong? What do we need? And the, the common, the common word that was thrown around is like, we just didn't have urgency. We just didn't ever get it going. Like, you know, we need to have harder practices. We need to have up tempo drills. We need to be moving from field to field. We need to want to be able to shove it up someone's ass. And, Every single player told him that. And so now we come into camp and our practices and our, and our uh, camp is run that way. And we can't say anything about it because, number one, we're the ones who told them we need this. And so I think it's been excellent so far. Um, there's, no, there's been no behind-the-scenes conversations like, man, this is too much. Or, man, like, what are we doing? Like, it's been like, holy crap, this is great. Like, we're going to be better. Um, you know, and you could see things are already changing. The culture is already changing. And people throw around that word like, you know, oh, we need to get the culture right. Like, it's a common word that's thrown around. Like, what does that mean? Um, but I know what it means. Like, we're already doing it. Uh, you know, we have, <laughs> as a funny example, we have a parking lot. And we have young guys that were, you know, parking too close. And so me and Lance one morning showed up a little bit later, close to the stretch, and there was no parking spot. And so we're like, we need to get this fixed ASAP. Next morning, we had a printout with the sign seats. Like, if you have five years less, you're out of the gate. And like, that wouldn't have happened last year. You know what I mean? Like, so the sense, like the urgency of like doing it the right way and what Pedro is big on, and, and I love Pedro for it, um, he's honest, right? And so he, he went around and told everyone, listen up, guys, every single person I'm going to treat fairly. Okay. I'm going to treat you guys all fairly. But the next thing he said, which really blew me away, which I love, he said, but we're not going to treat everyone the same. I will treat you fairly, but not the same. And so it's not just being, you know, it's not just like an open end comment, like you're just saying it and it doesn't happen. He was right. One day went by six hours later, they got a, a sign that says, hey, you can't park here. Everyone's going to be treated fairly, but not the same. And so, like I said, urgency and the kind of culture we're building here already in the past let's just say four days of position players being here but like from the get-go of pitchers past couple past 10 days um you've already seen uh us turn the page from last year and, and starting to build on this year and you're already seeing like actual the word culture is actually meaning something so that's awesome the um 
the average White Sox fan that hears that might say, okay, that's great. Boy, Tony LaRusso fucked this thing up last year. <laughs> that's the perception that I when, it, when some easy, people. It's such an easy way to put it, right? And it's, and the perception thing is, is great. Like, but if you ask every single person in that clubhouse, it was our fault. It was the player's fault. You know, number one, we didn't perform. And number two, we didn't have the urgency to perform um, after we got hurt. Uh, and people are like, oh, Tony, da, 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 Tony, this. I'd love Tony. But listen, it could have been Jesus Christ himself coaching our team last year, and it would have been the same outcome. I mean, we had, after Tony had his, his, his health problems, which, you know, was, is not, it was not fortunate. It's very unfortunate. We had Miguel come in, and we were still the same 500 team. We had a 500 record when, when Tony left, and we had a 500 record the whole year. It, it, like I said, it didn't matter who the staff was last year. It was just us as players not taking the accountability of, of, of wanting to, like, get going, get going, get going, get going. And, you know, now we have a whole new staff, but their job is to make sure we hold ourselves accountable as players because we told them what we wanted. Um and now their job is to keep us doing what we have told them that we promised them to, that we would do this year. And I'm not talking about stats. I'm talking about as a unit, as a team, we need to go out there and play baseball. And that's all we got to be focused on from, you know, pitch one to the very end of the game. Um, but like I said, the, the fans I've, could say that, but like, like coming from me, we were still 500 with, without Tony. You know what I mean? It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, I just got a few more here because I know you got to pick your kids up. But yeah, no worries. Uh, one thing we talk about a lot on the Rose rotation is how you deal with failure as a relief pitcher. I mean, you're like a defensive back in the NFL. Like you're going to get toasted. Sometimes you just got to get, <laughs> but when it, do, when it doesn't come together for an entire season, like pretty much it didn't go right. And you, you know, you got a late start because of the injury and then it never seemingly got on track. Was that the toughest year of your career because of it? It was the toughest year. I've had tough years like that before, but it was the toughest year because not only did my performance never get going, like stink, right? Um, it's it's easy to not think about it. Like, I never really think about myself. It was the toughest year because as a unit, we never got going also with myself not performing. Um, you know, I've, I've not performed plenty of times, but then, you know, the team's going ahead and winning. So I've never really cared about, you know, numbers. Um, but when you're not doing your job and and – you know, say you blow a game at, at that point and that's failure. Like you're talking about it hurt even more. So I'm going to say the hurt year hurt even more if I didn't do my job personally, because as a unit, we weren't doing it. So like when I, let's just say blow a game, it felt like 10 losses. Cause like, man, we try to get going so hard, put so much pressure on ourselves to get it going that when I blew it, it felt like I took 10 losses because I'm like, dang it. Like, Dang it. Like, even if it was a, a Sunday game getaway day, like, didn't mean nothing. Like, you know, it was early on in the year. Um, but as the season went along, you could you could feel that, I'd say, kind of like pressure. Like, I never put pressure on myself to succeed. But when I did fail, when I really got time to think about, it, like, man, like, I'm supposed to be the guy to help to, like, get it going type thing. Um, but previous years, if we were on, I was on a winning team and I blew a game, it didn't matter because we all, as a unit, just kept pushing forward, pushing forward, playing hard. Um, but it was a tricky year. Like I, I had an injury that only I don't know one other guy that's ever had an injury, and he would say it's not as bad as Aaron Bummer. So that's why the White Sox signed me because they knew that I, they could rehab me through it. So number one, I blew out my nerve and started late, and you know 
at the end of the season when I was throwing the ball well was like, man, like I'm getting it going, but now we're out of time. Um, and bummer, I talked to him daily. He's like, yeah, like I didn't feel good until like a year and two months. Like I didn't have my bicep strength back from, you know, nine months. Um, so this year I'm more excited than ever because like I'm already throwing live BPs. This is going to be the first year in like three years that I'm going to play in an actual big league spring training game. Like I've always been rehabbing. It'd been a shoulder surgery. It'd been a nerve. It'd been, you know, a tweaked hammy. Um, so this has been the most excited I've ever been for a camp, number one, because I want the team, we want our culture, we want to play urgent. And then number two, for myself personally, um, I haven't been healthy. I haven't been able to start a season on time in a while. Um, so I'm fucking pumped about that. It, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, exciting It's for myself personally, if we're going on that. Um, I thought your most interesting chapter in the book, because I did not expect it, was the fact that you and Rob Manfred essentially broke bread. Um, I love that one so much. I thought it was great. Yes. And people ask me, like, what are you most excited for? And I said, I think it's chapter seven. I I said, my whole chapter was Bob Manford. We had a conversation and the whole chapter is dedicated to it. Number one, it is what it is. I didn't, I told Rob, I'm not going to change any words. I'm not going to make it look good. Like, are you okay with this? I'm going to record it. And, and, and let's take it, sorry, let's take a step back. I, me just asking him, like, I was like, let me see if he wants to do it. Like I'm writing a book. Number one, I thought it would be shut down. I'd be like, all right, cool. Check that off the list. We don't have to do it. He came back and said yes. And I was like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, I was expecting the no. He's like, yes, let's do it. Uh, we'll do it in like two days. And I was like, I only have two days of prep for this. And I'm going like, holy crap. He said yes. Um, so going into it, obviously, I've been suspended multiple times, different years. Um, haven't had the most players and Rob haven't had the most like we haven't really like got along, you know, we had the lockout, we weren't allowed to talk to teams, animosity. Um, and I saw the change of, you know, obviously he came to each team, talked to the veterans of the team, the leaders after the lockout having like, Hey, we can't do this again. It was my fault. I told the team not to talk to you. Um, give me some insight, like give me some ideas. Um, and so when he started being opened up like that, I was like, great. I started to kind of like, like him a little bit more. And I was like, all right, well, let me have a conversation with him. So he wants me to look. And he said, yes. So I said, great. And then so going into it, I still wasn't sold. Coming out of it, people are going to be like, whoa. And this goes back to kind of this theme right now. People do change. I had a change of heart. I enjoy Rob Manford. I have a cell phone number. I have texted him. Um, and the thing that people don't know is fans and baseball players, it's not like he was an Adam Silver, right, where the NBA guys love him and, and fans love him as a commissioner of the NBA. Um, there's been like negative connotations to him. You know, he called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. But if you understand, and, and I hope people understand when they read this chapter, like he's a, he's a normal guy. It, he's got a tough spot. He is a third party. He works for the owners, but he's also supposed to put the game of baseball in the best, you know, light of, that it could possibly be. Um, but when he said that, like after talking to him and understanding what kind of person he is, he's, he's, he's a New Yorker, man. He's sarcastic. Like I would have probably said the same exact thing. Like, yeah, it's a World Series trophy, but like literally it is made out of metal. Like I probably like it's a piece of metal. Like, but when you take it out of context and just write that, like it looks terrible, right? Um, but now understanding him, having the conversation, I've had a change of heart. I think he is the right guy for the job. I know it's hard. I think he is actually cares about baseball. And people are like, oh, these rule changes, like they're changing the game, they're blah, 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 blah. No, he made these rule changes because it's bringing back the old game of baseball that's been played for a hundred years. And what really what really touched me was that he has the authority to make a rule change whenever and instantly. 
but he's kind of like thrown some fillers out there going like start with the minor leagues hey what do you guys think about this rule change he's asked the players before he did it you know what do you do about this what do you think about the pitch clock let's try it in the minor so he started weeding it in there when when uh in retrospect he could just be like nope pitch clock june 1st and we'd be like wait what and he had the authority to do it but he didn't so he really does care about the game of baseball um and the normal person would be like why are they doing all these rules uh but if you look at the game when i was a kid pitchers were throwing the ball on their own within 15 to 20 seconds you know what i mean there was this was already happening um you know, people weren't shifting crazy. So there was glove guys. There was David Eckstein's. There were super athletic infielders who actually were glove guys and couldn't hit. Now, not to not to harp on it, but like we're sticking bat first guys in the infield because of the shift and like turning outfielders into infielders, turning first basemen into middle infielders or second basemen because of the shift. So what he's doing is bringing back the the athleticism of baseball, which I'm mm-hmm. so pumped because now fans are gonna be like, damn, baseball players are athletic. So no shift. You better put athletic people in the middle infield that can make plays. And I don't care if they get hit because now you're trying to save runs because there is no shift and there's so many strikeouts. So he's creating jobs and bringing the, the, the true nature of the game back, making the bases bigger to, you know, make people steal bases. I mean, back in the day, everyone stole bases. You know, there's catchers stealing bases. Jason Kendall was swiping bags, like guys like that. Um, so all these rule changes are just bringing back the beauty of baseball. And, I, and people will start to understand that once they see the pace of play, once they see people are stealing, once they see super athletic guys playing infield, they're like, okay, this is what I watched 40 years ago. And the rule change made it do that. So he's not making the rule change to change the game. He's trying to bring it back to what, what has uh, always been the game of baseball to me. I thought it was an excellent chapter. I was shocked Thank by you. some I was of the back and forth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Yep. It was excellent. Um, are you guys practicing the pitch clock, by the way? And has it been a pain in the ass? We are. We're doing it in the bullpens and we're doing it in lives. And there's buzzers when you don't get it right. Um, it hasn't been a pain in the ass. You might. The only time I think it could come to be a problem if you're not used to it is if, say, you cover first base and hey, you got to get back on that mound. You can't like, you can't like slowly walk your way back and like take a breath and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think probably every every other team is probably doing what we're doing. Like we're. We're, we're pitch clocking it from, you know, every time you get on that mound, we're pitch clocking it, whether it could be dry work, whether it's actually throwing a bullpen, whether it's facing your guys in live VP, um, we're, you got to get ready because it, it, it is fast. It is fast if you've never done it. Have you been buzzed? Uh, I've been beeped. It's a beep. I've been, I was beeped in my first bullpen uh, twice and I threw like 22 pitches. So that's not bad. I mean, two balls. I throw balls anyways. Yeah. <laughs> it's just less throwing that's funny balls. i'm saving my arm if i'm throwing it you know what i mean that's funny um two more what have you more worn worn more recently one of your world series rings or your mariachi outfit oh so it's been my world series ring so my mariachi jacket is in is in my closet and there's only there's only two other ways that it will ever be worn again Number one is when we win the World Series. I'll bring it out again. Number two, I say it all the time, and my wife's going to kill me. Number two, I have one daughter so far. I haven't been snipped yet. I'm about to have my fourth, third boy. Um, I'm saving my mariachi jacket for when my daughter gets married. It's going to be the father-daughter dance outfit, and I'm going to wear it. So those are the only two ways I wear that thing again. <laughs> and my wife says, no, you're going to embarrass her. You're going to embarrass our daughter, Blake. And I'm like... Hey, that's it. This thing is either White House or your wedding. That's it. Two, two pretty special places. It's that's fair, good. right? 
Absolutely. All right, let's spin the wheel of moderately interesting things so you can go pick up your kids at school. All righty. All right. Yeah, I wanted to hear this one. What does it say? Uh, no. No, I'm going to do this. Giving it mood. It was what It was it yellow, say? but I changed it. I changed okay. it on the fly. Stranger Things. I like this one better for you. Okay. Uh, giving mood. What was the last big gift you got somebody? The last big gift I got somebody. I gave my wife a fourth kid. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That sounds so cynical. I am totally kidding. It, it's going to be... It, don't I, cut it. Leave it you, in there. You, no. you think a lot of yourself, don't you, Joe? No, 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 no. The last big gift I gave someone, um, I'm going to say, so I don't spend a ton of money on, on, on personal things, right? Like, this is, this is free. I've worn the same bands and, and sweats all the time my whole life. I don't buy clothes. Um, but vacations and travel are things I do like to spend money on. So me and my wife took a little baby moon to Cabo. We stayed in, I guess, the, the nicest hotel there. Um, and we had a very, very great time. Um, our last kind of trip uh, before we have our fourth child. So that is the last giving thing as a, as a couple, as a family. Uh, me and my wife did, uh, you know, spent the big bucks to enjoy ourselves for four days. Where'd you stay? Uh, Las Ventanas? We stayed at, no, we stayed at the Abu Raj, uh, the Esperanza. It's like the one That's in Sedona. Yeah, it's it's yeah. super cool. <laughs> yeah, That's big time. That's big time big reliever time. dough right there. That is big That's time nice. reliever dough. But like I said, I don't spend money on anything else, you know. But travel and vacation. Okay, cool. No, no car, the, no nothing. The book is out February twenty eighth, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. February twenty eighth, okay. the damn near perfect game, and it's you know Amazon. You could get it there, or you know Barnes and Noble pre order. But yeah, Amazon's probably the easiest. I will tell you this, everybody. Like I said, I didn't. I know you a little bit from interviewing yeah. a couple times over the last decade. I thought it was great. I'm not just saying it because you're on the show. Thank I you. thought it was excellent and really, really well done. It's a good, fast read. Uh, it touches on a lot more than just baseball, but obviously that's yep. the that, that's the uh, intertwining factor here. So I wish you best of luck. Uh, congratulations on child number Thank four. You. I hope your wife is feeling well. And, Thanks for supporting, you know, me supporting being, the socks with the hat. Well, I only do it when you and Giolito come on. You know, Giolito's a regular on this show, and yes, I always tell him this. Me. He let me know. He goes, Joe, you're about to be on the Chris Rose rotation. And I said, how do you know? He's like, oh, I know. I was like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, do it again, yeah. man. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I got a few plans for you, actually, that okay. I'm going to talk about you offline. Um, right. So have a good start to your year. And, okay, um, thank you so much. Be healthy out there on top of everything else. All right, my man? You, you said it. That's that's the key. This was a fun right, time. I enjoyed it. Thank you. See you All guys. Right, for our outstanding one-of-a-kind producer, Robbie Scirocco, and Thanks, Robbie. author extraordinaire, Joe Kelly. I am Chris Rose. We'll see you next time here on the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media.